in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgave our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, a very good evening to everyone. How are we? Come on, you can do better. How are we? That's the way. A little bit more better. How are we? All right. Um, Guys, we thank the Lord Jesus always. Um, All the time. Whether it's rainy day like today, on the last couple of days. Whether it's uh, hot, cold, miserable, uh, sunny day, healthy, sick, feeling up, feeling down, feeling miserable, feeling great. We thank the Lord always. Amen. Since we are going um, through the fasting period, I thought it would be relevant to talk about the Lord's fasting, which he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And um, I I thought that it is relevant uh, since we are going through that phase and that time of the year where we are remembering what the Lord has done for us and how the Lord fasted for our sake and how the Lord delivered us by starting before, prior to starting his ministry, he went and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so we're going to read from the Gospel of uh, St. Matthew, and um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. So, Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, the trial of Jesus, our Lord. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, on the edge pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And all glory be to our Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Well, the fasting or the great Lent, the fasting of the Lord Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights. Very brief introduction before we go into it. Why did the Lord Jesus fast 40 days? Was he in need of fasting? He did it for our sake and he did it to actually um, sanctify this kind of fasting and make it acceptable before the Almighty God, the Father who has sent him to be the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. If you look at the Old Testament, all the prophets of the Old Testament fasted 40 days. Moses, um, Elijah, all of the old prophets of the Old Testament fasted 40 days. 
Now, the number 40, biblically speaking, has of great significance. Number 40 in the Bible represents spiritual life. Now, and it's also um, proven as well that if you don't eat that much, and you don't drink that much for 40 days, um, you tend, your blood tend to be become much more lighter and watery than of a thick kind of a blood. So the number 40, it is the time of transition between physical being into spiritual, between worldly into heavenly, between materialistic into, um, into a divine kind of being. So number 40 represents the transformation between this realm into the next realm, between physical into the spiritual realm. The Lord Jesus, he came to fulfill the Old Testament. And he said that to John the Baptist. He said, I did not come to diminish or to take away, but I came to fulfill everything that has been written and said and mentioned about me. Now we can go into number 40 a little bit more. Now 40 is 4 times 10. Now 10 represents the Ten Commandments. Now the Ten Commandments, in very simplistic way, they represent responsibility. What are the Ten Commandments? Responsibility. Do not, do not. And by the way, all the Ten Commandments are negative. They are referred to as the technical law of God. They are not the entire law of God. They are the technical law of God, and they are all negative. But the fullness of the law of God is Jesus Christ Himself, who is the Word, who is the Logos. He is the Word, He is the law, and He is the full law of, of God. Every law is in Christ Jesus. Number 10 represents responsibility. Do not lie, do not kill, do not, do not, do not. Responsibility. And number four, one of the church fathers where I come from, the, the church of days where I belong to, one of the church fathers said that the human being is made out of four main elements. Now, uh, this is in the, in the broad sort of generalized sense. The body has a lot of elements that makes up the component of this body. But he's talking in the generalized sense and more spiritually than, uh, than clinically, uh, I guess. He says that the human body is made out of four main elements. There is the air, there is the wind, uh, sorry, there is the air, there is the fire, there is the water, and there is the dust, the dirt, earth. So there is soil, there is fire, there is water, and there is wind. If you look at these four elements, they are all enemies of each other. Fire doesn't like water. Water doesn't like earth. And wind, and water, and wind, and fire doesn't like, uh, and, and they don't like each other. They are enemies. Water is against fire. Fire is against water. Earth is against water. Wind is against water. He said, God, with, through his wisdom, has put these four enemies together to make up this human body or this human figure. To say to us that I, the Lord God, can put contradictory things together and make him live in harmony. When you give your life to me, I will harmonize even the contradictive things in your life. 
So when you fulfill the responsibility toward God, the commandment 10, the four will become united together. And again, number four represents the four enemies that we have. When we broke God's word, four enemies entered in our life. Number one, sin. Number two, death. Number three, condemnation. Number four, Satan. We brought God's word, sin entered, through sin, death, and through that sin, condemnation, and through that sin, Satan became in charge and ruling over the human race. The Lord Jesus came, fulfilled the Ten Commandments, everything that God asked of, He fulfilled it to deliver us from Satan, from uh, death, from condemnation, from sin, to set us free. That's 40. Now, when we look at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, the Lord Jesus is being put to the test or to the trial by Satan. This took place immediately after he was baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist. After he was filled by the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says he got hungry after that. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The Holy Bible did not mention that Moses got hungry after that. Elijah fasted 40 days and 40 nights. There is no mention of any of the prophets fasting and the Bible saying they became hungry after the 40 days. Why? Because there is no need to mention, since they are normal human beings, automatically you will know, if you don't eat, you get hungry. That is normal. That is the logic of it. But how come it is mentioned about Jesus that he got hungry? Because the gospel writer is trying to tell us something about Jesus, that he is uniquely different to all any other men that came before him or after him. This guy is not only a human, he is also God. So that's why I mentioned, I, Matthew, mentioned that he got hungry after the 40 days to tell you that he is not only a human being, but he's only God. The, 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 the human side of him got hungry. See, Moses, Elijah, they're just humans. Jesus is not just human, he is also divine. He is perfect God, perfect man. That's why I had to mention that he got hungry after 40 days, because I want to tell you that this guy is God in the flesh. So the flesh got hungry, but the divine that is in the flesh doesn't eat, doesn't get hungry. The enemy, look at this, the enemy came and put the Lord Jesus to the trial. Now if Satan can... Put Jesus to a trial. Do you think I and you is not going to test us? We're not going to escape. If Jesus didn't escape, definitely we are not escaping his trial. He came and he said to the Lord, he gave the Lord Jesus a text. And look at this. The enemy, Satan, tested the Lord Jesus from the Bible. That tells you one thing. Satan knows the Holy Bible from cover to cover. He can, he can tell you any verse, anywhere. Old and New Testament. He knows it all. He's read it all. And he has memorized it all. 
Now, Satan is um, this Satan that the Bible calls used to be once upon a time one of the angelic orders in heaven. He was one of he was he um, he belonged to the cherubim ranking. A cherub is the highest rank in the angelic order. By the way, angels have rankings. They're not the same. They are not, not all of them the same. Some of them are warriors. Some are peacemakers. Some don't like to fight. Some don't carry any swords, any hand grenades, any guns. The other, the other side, no. They've got the sword, they'll chop you. If Jesus says, okay. So, a cherub is the highest rank in the angelic order. The Holy Bible, when it talked about the cherubims, it's referred to them as full of eyes. Inside and out, they are full of eyes. Now, the eye in the Bible represents knowledge. The Lord Jesus said, He said, The lamp of your body is the eye. The light to your body is the eye. The light in the Bible represents knowledge. Every time you see light, you see eye, put knowledge. So this cherubim was full of eyes, meaning he was full of knowledge. The most knowledgeable angel ever. He brought God's word. Guess what? When God gives you something, he will not take it away from you even if you make a mistake. So when God gave this angel knowledge, when he brought God's word and was kicked out of heaven, he went with his knowledge. But now he is using his absolute knowledge to do evil. So he came with this knowledge to Jesus. He looked at the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. He said, ah, another Adam. Yeah, I've, I've won. Uh, I, I overcame Adam in the Garden of Eden. I can see another human being weak. I'm going to rip this guy apart and I'm going to break him just like I broke Adam, you know, at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. So he came to the Lord with a biblical text. He said, if you are the Son of God, say to this stone to be bread, change him. The Lord Jesus came back with another text. Satan comes with a text. The Lord Jesus replies with a context so that he prevents a pretext. I'll say that again. Satan came attacking with a text. The Lord Jesus put that text into a context to prevent a pretext outcome. Because when you, when you are being led by Satan to a pretext, a pretext can lead you anywhere and can destroy you. So the Lord Jesus had to put that text into some boundary, into a limitation, so it doesn't go out of hand. Guys, when people come and talk to you, when people come and say things to you, if you don't put what people say to you within limitation, within boundary, you'll end up anywhere and nowhere. Just an open gate and you'll be just anywhere. 
Somebody comes and says, let's go out. And you just go out just like that without questioning why and where and what is the reason and who are we going to meet. If you're just going to pack yourself up and run for it, you're going to end up with a pretext where you will sleep over in a room in the city, come back in the morning, knocked out. You end up with a pretext. We must, we must put limitations to what we hear. We must have boundaries to what we are exposed to. We can't just be an open gate allowing every man and his dog to enter our life and veer our destiny. You have to have limitations. And sometimes the word no is so sweet. Please use it. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. And don't be afraid. You can say absolutely. You can say no to your friend. It's a free country, brother. I live in Sydney, Australia. And I am living in freedom. And my freedom tell me to say no to you. Get out of my sight. Thank you very much. The Lord Jesus was tempted by Satan saying, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to be bred. What is he attacking? He is attacking the intellect. The first trial is attacking the intellect. When, when this intellectual attack yields, matures, ripes, it leads to materialism. It is an intellectual attack. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to be bred. Intellectually you being attacked. And by the way, this temptation that the Lord had to go through, it wasn't just for that moment and that's, that was it. Jesus was being tempted every single day of his life for as long as he walked on the face of this planet, he was being tempted. But why the Holy Bible summed up all the temptations in these three? Because all, every temptation falls within these three categories. Every other temptation. So if you are the son of God, tell the stone to be bred. That is an intellectual attack by Satan. He is using your head for you to use it. And then let go of the word of God in order to make you end up a materialistic person. What did the Lord Jesus reply with? It is not by bread alone a man lives, but it is by every word that is uttered from the mouth of God. You shall live by. You don't just live by bread. You live by the word of God. Satan trying to give you bread. What is bread? Materialism. I'm not talking about Lebanese Baalbek bread, even though it's very tasty, brother. I'm not talking about that when you go to Fairfield and buy Lebanese bread. No, I'm talking about everything that is materialistic is summed up in this bread. If you use your head too much in everything, you have to know, you have to believe, you have to agree, you have to understand. If you use your head in everything, you become a worldly being. You become a materialistic being, you become a physical being. People want to follow God with their heads. If I don't understand, if I don't see God, 
if I don't comprehend God, I'm not going to accept Him, I'm not going to believe in Him. You are talking materialistically, you are a physical being, you need to live and elevate yourself into spirituality. Materialism is the first attack, intellect. Number two, he took the Lord Jesus. He took the Lord Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. He took him to the, to the temple, at the top of the temple, the roof. And he made him stand on the edge. He said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself from, from here, from above here. Because it is written that he will send you his angels and they're going to grab you with their hands so that your foot does not stumble against a stone. He said, do not tempt the Lord your God. It is also written, do not tempt the Lord your God. Don't put God to the test. Don't test God. As some say, you know what? If God is going to give me this, then I'll believe that he exists. So God, if you're real, prove it. Show me. If you are real, I want you to prove that you are real. Okay, so how am I going to test you? I want a Mercedes-Benz tom uh, tomorrow at, at the front door parked. And I want it red convertible. You get up in the morning, you don't see the Mercedes-Benz. You say, oh, well, it's, it's just a fairy tale story. There is no God. You know, it reminds me of this story. <laughs> don't be like a little kid. This little boy went to his room. His mama wanted to see what he's going to say. She's checking out on her little boy. So she went without, you know, you know sort of, um, without letting him know that she is really listening. So he knelt in that room and he started praying to the Lord Jesus. He said, Jesus, I love you so much. And please, Jesus, tomorrow morning, when I get up, I want a beautiful bicycle in the house for me, from you. Thank you. Amen. He gets up in the morning. There is no bicycle. He goes the second day to his room. And he kneels again. Mama's listening. Lord Jesus, I asked you yesterday for a bike. Now you didn't give me, so I'm going to give you another chance. Tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. He is he's even timing it like, you know, it's got to be 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock in the morning, I want the bicycle, okay? Thank you, Abin. Gets up in the morning, no bicycle. He goes the third time frustrated. And in that room, there was a little statue of the Holy Mother Mary. He grabs the statue, puts it under his coat, and he runs out of the house. After a little while, comes back with no statue. Goes into the room. He says, Jesus, if you want to see your mother again. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Do not tempt the Lord your God. And don't act like a little kid in a childish way. It's either this or, or nothing. Okay, just go. Nothing then. <laughs> The second, the second trial is to the will. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from above. Do not test God with the will that He's given you. Don't put God to the test. You know why? Because 
If you allow Satan to overcome you and control your will, when that yields, it's going to lead you to utilitarianism. What is utilitarianism? What do I mean by that? You will utilize God for your own benefits. In other words, you will use God for your own goodness. So, in a simple English term, God is working for you now. He is your employee. Uh, God, can you come over here, please? Yeah, I wanted to do this. Thank you. Okay, finished. Thank you. Bye. So when God gives you something and it's finished, uh, then you don't need him anymore. I went to church. You know why? Because my mom and my dad, they kept on nagging me, nagging me, nagging me every single day. I just wanted them to get off my case. They said, come to church, my daughter, and come to church, my son. Pray to the Lord so you can pass your exam. Pray to the Lord so you can marry Joseph. Pray to the, <laughs> to the Lord so uh, Juliet will become in your way, Romeo. Pray to the Lord so you can have a successful business. Pray to the Lord. The Lord is going to give you. So you know what? I said, I'm going to give it a try. So I went to church and I prayed. Joseph didn't come. Josephine came, not Joseph. <laughs> and my business went bankrupt. And I failed my exam. Mom... Don't you ever come anywhere near me and tell me again to go to church. I will give you a punch and so is your God. We do not use God for our own benefits. Don't come to church so that God can find you the right partner. Don't come to church because you want to pass your exam. Don't come to church because you want to be healthy again. You don't want to be sick. Don't come to church for any other things. You come to church for Jesus. You come for Him, not for what He can do for you. When you love someone from the heart, when you love someone genuinely, you will love them for who they are, for, not for what they do for you. If you don't love them for their person, then your love has a humongous question mark against it. Boys and girls, young men and women, if you are in a relationship, whether you are engaged, married, no boyfriend, girlfriend, I'll kill you. Don't be in this kind of a relationship where you are waiting to receive something. Uh, you know why I love him? Because he always buys me gifts. He always surprises me, you know, with a nice Chanel and a nice rose and a big teddy bear on Valentine's Day. And once he stopped giving me the gifts, I don't love him. I'll go and shop around and find someone else. Doesn't work. A true love, you love that person, not what they do for you. Don't utilize God for your own benefits. I come to church because Jesus is worthy of my worship. Je the Lord Jesus is worthy of my praise. The Lord Jesus is worthy of my love and reverence and I bow before him because I owe it to him. The love that he has given me, that he has shown me on Calvary is much greater than anything else in the entire universe. I love him for him. Lord, I don't want nothing from you. I just want you. If you want me to be in hell, and if you choose for me to be in hell, then if it is your will for me to be in hell, I love you, Lord. If you want me to be healthy, 
or sick, I love you. You want me to be successful or a failure? I love you. You want me to be in the church or in the street? I love you, Lord. Because when you loved me, you did not put a condition to that. You just came to my rescue without even thinking what the consequences are going to be. You could not bear seeing me perishing to my own death. You came to my rescue without saying, is this person going to appreciate my love or not? He just came. Parents are normally very well known in this kind of a, a love, true sacrifice and true love, where they sacrifice their lives for their children without thinking for one moment. What if my child matures one day and does not appreciate all the love and the sacrifice that I've given my child? What if they just kick me out of the house one day? They never think of it. All they care about I want my children to be healthy, to be successful, to be always good. And I'll give my life for them to have a prosperous life. Now that is a genuine love. The third attack or the third temptation to the Lord Jesus, he took him on a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms and the glories, the treasures of the kingdoms. And he said, I'll give you all this if you bow and worship me. He said, away with you, Satan. It is written to, uh, to your Lord God you shall work and to him alone you should worship. Away with you, Satan. Get out of here. Now that third temptation is against the imagination. He took him on a high mountain, showed him the kingdoms and the glories. Imagination. How often do we imagine what we want to be? where we want to be, with whom we want to be. And we start picturing all these wonderful oases that I'm going to be this, I'm going to be the king, I'm going to be the queen, I'm going to find the perfect partner in my life. I'm going to be the most successful person in this life. Imagination, imagination. You need to put a limit to that imagination, otherwise it's going to lead you to heathenism. Heathenism means, in other words, worshiping false gods. You'll become a heath atheistic. Heathenism means you worship false gods. People worship money. People worship fame. People, people worship so many things, including a cow. One of the greatest attacks against imagination is social media. One of the greatest attacks of Satan in the 21st century against the gate of imagination is social media. So dangerous. So dangerous. Facebook, Internet, Instagrams, you name it. Some people, okay, this is in the Middle East, right? They have these series, you know, these, they put on TV. You know, whether they are Turkish um, series or or Middle Eastern series, whatever. And, you know, in those series you see, like, this guy meets this girl, and then, and this guy is so perfect, like, it's not normal. So this girl who is watching this series all the time, she begins imagining that her man is going to be like this guy, but she does not understand that this is all nothing but a lie. Playing up with your mind. Giving you something that is not realistic. Imagination. And then you start comparing your man with the man in the TV. 
Well, he doesn't look, that guy is handsome, bro. Woo. That guy is all muscly. Look at my one, fatso. <laughs> He's got a big Assyrian nose, yuck. Before she never realized that she was in love with that guy. All of a sudden she started comparing. And before she realizes, I can't find that man in the TV. So I might as well stay single. I'm not going to get married because no one is perfect. Sweetheart, you're not perfect either. Can you get a life and wake up? Now let's go to the first trial. If you are the son of God, say to these stones to be turned to bread. That was mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Second one. The pinnacle of the temple, at the edge of the temple, Deuteronomy 6.16. Third one, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, Deuteronomy 6.13. So all these temptations, Satan quoted them from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Torah. Torah means law. So that is the Old Testament. Moses wrote five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Except the last two chapters of Deuteronomy that were written by Joshua. Because at that time Moses had passed away. He died. And Joshua took over and led the Israelite nation into the promised land. Now, all these were quoted from the Bible, from the book of Deuteronomy. Let's come. What is this bread turned, this stone turned into a bread? Let's look at it. Number one. Bread... It's to do with the body. The pinnacle of the temple high place is to do with the spirit. The kingdom and glories of the kingdom is to do with the soul. St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, St. Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, one, soul, two, and body, three, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul is clearly stating here that a human being is made out of body, soul, and spirit. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to be turned into bread. That is an attack against the body. He took him at the pinnacle of the temple. He said, throw yourself. That is an attack against the spirit. He took him on a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms and its glories. That is an attack against the soul. That's what makes up the human being. These three trials are inclusive of every temptation that comes to this human being that is made out of a body, soul, and spirit. It includes every temptation. Now let's go to the body. Turn the stone into bread. That's an attack against the body. Now the body is to do with lust. In Galatians 5.24... St. Paul says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires, lusts. Again, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, to what? With its passion and desires. Romans 13, 13 to 14, St. Paul again mentions, let us behave properly as in the day, carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual uh, promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. When, when the Lord God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, he said in Genesis 1.26, a very profound statement. Verse, Genesis 1.26. He says, let us give dominion to this man that we created in our image according to our likeness. Let us give them dominion. What does dominion mean? Authority, sovereignty, rulership. So the Lord God gave the authority in the hands of man. He said, I will not interfere with you, Adam, as far as this world is concerned. I gave you this world. You look after it. You make it well. You increase it. You multiply it. You protect it. It is in your hands and it is in your dominion, meaning God will not interfere. If God interferes with Adam's affairs, God is breaking his own rulings. Very powerful. When Adam, when Adam broke God's word, what happened? Did God interfere? No. But he warned Adam before that. He said, if you break my word and eat from that forbidden tree, surely you will die. Adam ate. Did God stop him? No. Why didn't he stop him? Because he had already said, the dominion is yours. I'm not going to interfere with you. But there are consequences for every decision that you make and every action you take. So when he broke that, that word, Adam had to die. So what happened here? This world that the Lord God created, he created it for the man, for us, for the humans. When Adam listened to Satan and broke God's word, he sold himself to Satan and everything that he owned. So this world now became under the rulership of Satan. Since he overcame Adam, he overcame everything that Adam had, this world. But guess what? What is Satan going to do with a physical world? With a materialistic world? Satan is spirit. He can't go and have prawns on the barbie. He can't have a, an Aussie bushtaka meat pie. He can't have fish burger and chocolate sundae. He can't have dolma. He can't have red rice Assyrian. He can't have him because he is spirit. And everything to do with this world is material. Spirit and material don't go together. So Satan said, what am I going to do with this world? The Lord God said, eat it. Snake, you will creep crawl on your belly and you will eat dirt, dust. Meaning you will eat this world, Satan, have it. Satan said, well, I can't have it even if I want to have it. I'm spirit, this is not, and I can't be here forever and I can't use it for nothing. Uh-huh. So what I'm going to do, since I can't have it, and it is of no use for me, I am going to use it to trick people from getting to Jesus. So I'm going to tempt people with the world and the temptations of the world. Since I can't have it for me and enjoy it, I will use it to bring people down. So the body is the last. The temptations of the world. 
temptations in its, all of its colors. One of the temptations, Star City Casino. One of the temptations, drugs. One of the temptations, alcohol. One of the temptations, womanizing. One of the temptations, gangs. One of the temptations, killing and fame and pride and you name it. He used the world to tempt you, to bring you down so that you don't get to Jesus in the end. Otherwise, it is of no use to Satan. It means nothing. So he comes to someone and he says, oh, by the way, Satan will not come and speak to you directly. If Satan comes and says, I want, and says to a Christian guy that loves the Lord Jesus, and if he comes to this Christian guy and says, I want you to hate Jesus, will you hate Jesus? No. Say, get lost, Satan. I'm not hating Jesus. I love him. So Satan is very smart. He's not going to come and directly say, I want you to hate Jesus. He's going to come and say, come on, mate. In the back of your head he's talking now, huh? Indirectly. He's always indirectly because if you see him really, you hate him. He's ugly. You can't stand him. Really, I'm talking now, literally now. He's very ugly and very, very, very savage. Savage. But he never shows that ugly side because nobody can stand him. And nobody will follow him. So he'll come in a deceptive way. So he's not going to come and say to you directly, hate Jesus. And he's not going to show his ugly face to you. But what is he going to do? He's going to use the world to tempt you. He's going to say, come on, mate. You only live once, brother. Hey? How many times are you going to live in this life? Only once, bro. Enjoy it while you're young. Are you serious? Are you going to tell me that you are a 20-year-old man and a 20-year-old girl? You want to go in your room and start praying and fasting and going to church? This is absolutely old-fashioned. This is for the oldies, bro, not for me. This is for my grandma and my grandpa. They are the ones that they need to go because they are at the edge of the going over into the next life. So they better behave well before they leave. But me... I haven't even explored nothing in this life. Give me a break, Dad. Give me a break, God. I'll see you later, brother. So I'm going to go downtown, and I want to see all the colors first before I make a decision and say, you know, I want to settle in now. I've, I've had my share now. It's good enough. I've tasted everything. I've seen everything. I've eaten everything. I've swallowed everything. You know, now um, I'm now comfortable that I've, I've had my share. I'm deciding now to go back to Jesus and say, Lord, you know, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I am retiring from this world. I want to be your pensioner. So he's going to say, you're young. Look at, he'll come to the girl. He says, look at you. You're stunning. You can turn every man like that. Just put a little bit makeup. And make some eyebrows out of laser. And put the Botox. And put the foundation, the mascara, the pescara, the entire everything. And put all the powder. And face the mirror for the next 10 hours. And fill your face with all this makeup. And dress up in a very revealing way. And go out. You should have fun. You're still young. 
If you don't show yourself now, when? When you're old and wrinkled? Show yourself now. Let everyone look at you. Get every man's attention. Have fun. And you little boy here, come on, it's not fair for you to be a monk now. For you to be like a nun, you'll be a priest. You're going to go to church, you'll go later, don't worry. There's plenty of time, trust me. Who, who says there's plenty of time? Who can determine if I'm going to live tomorrow or not? I cannot determine that if I'm going to sleep and wake up. Only God can say that. But you see how Satan deceives? So let's go and have fun, bro. I'm going to put a tattoo. <laughs> and I'm, good, I'm a good Christian, so I'm going to put a little beautiful cross. What's wrong with that? That is beautiful. It's a cross. But I, I'm a good Catholic. I'm going to put a rosary. And I'm, good, I'm going to put the Lord Jesus, and I'm going to take the sleeves up, and I'm going to show all the non-Christians, I'm a Christian. Hey, look at me. huh? Look at the muscle. Uh, who says the Lord Jesus wants you to show him on your arm? <laughs> Jesus wants your heart, not your muscles. Temptations, my beloved. The body, we get tempted left, right, and center. We get tempted left, right, and center. Young men and women, please. Can you be careful with this social media? Can you please watch what you say and watch what you see? Do not expose yourself to anything and everything. I, my advice to you, if you can not have a Facebook, please don't. This is my advice. Don't have a Facebook. The first temptation is the body, the lust. Now, the second one, my beloved, it's to do, ah, before we go to the second one, now, the body and the lust. To break the body and discipline it, what shall we do? What is the medication to breaking the body and stopping it from being tempted all the time and doing whatever it wants? Fasting. That's why the Lord Jesus fasted, and that's why He taught us to fast. Fasting is the discipline of the body. Philippians 3.19, St. Paul. He says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. St. Paul here is talking about people saying, some people, their God is their belly. Now, what he means by the belly, he's not talking about this kind of a belly, just like food, food, food. No, no, no. He's talking about every temptation here. The belly represents every temptation. And by the way, some people cannot control their appetite. It's, it's absolutely uh, amazing where somebody can stand and last 10 hours in a kitchen and they can't last half an hour in the church. 10 hours in the kitchen, you don't have a headache, you don't have a back pain, no elbows, no knees, no nothing, and you're cooking, cooking, cooking because you want to dig into it. But you sit in the church for half an hour, ach, my head, ach, my eyes, ach, my back, ach, my arm. What happened? You were in the kitchen 10 hours. Yeah, but the kitchen is yum, yum. Here is ham, ham. <laughs> and some people, their, their God is their belly. Meaning... Materialism comes, number one, before the Almighty God. 
Fasting, my beloved, is to break the body. The Lord Jesus gave us fasting and he taught us to fast so that we make the body weaker. It is not to hurt the body, it is to discipline the body. I'll give you an example of what I mean by fasting. Imagine, this is a very simple example. Imagine you love chocolate, right? When you see chocolate, that's it, you lose it. You can't control yourself. Just like when somebody sees money, they can't control themselves. Somebody sees a good-looking good girl and a good-looking man, they can't control themselves. One of the temptations, it's, let's say, chocolate. You see chocolate, you go crazy. I'm too weak when I stand before Ferrero. It looks like a Ferrari to me. So when I see a Ferrero, uh, man, I'm weak. i got to have it, brother. I can't. So when you say to the body, excuse my language, shut up. You're not having a Ferrero. And I'm going to break you. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you what you want. This time, you are not getting away with murder. This time, you're not having this chocolate. What have I done to this body? I have taught this body to be disciplined, not to expect everything they want. This girl, this is a true story. This girl, she was very, very religious person. She loved, I don't like to use the word religious, but she loved the Lord Jesus. She loved the Lord Jesus from the heart. Every Sunday, she would never miss the church for no one and for nothing. And every day she would sit in the room and pray. However, her weakness was at 9 p.m., there was a certain uh, kind of series of uh, movies on TV. When 9 o'clock came, she saw herself in front of the TV. She couldn't control herself. That was her weakness. She would put away the Bible. She would stop praying and facing the TV at 9 p.m. every single night without fail. She didn't like it. She went to her father, to the priest, and she confessed about her weakness. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. So one day she said, this is what I'm going to do. She took a picture of the Lord Jesus. True story. She took the picture of the Lord Jesus. One half of the picture, she glued it on the door. The other half of the picture, she glued it on the wall. Where you can't take it off anymore. She said, she started praying, reading the Bible, and she's watching. Her skin is itching, watching and itching. I thirty, quarter to nine, five to nine. Oh, please, I need to sniff. I'm addicted. I'm addicted. I gotta watch this movie. I can't skip it. She. One minute to nine o'clock, she got up and put her hand on the door handle, about to open the door. Now, if she would open the door, that meant she had to rip the picture of Jesus in half. She put her hand on the handle to open the door. She looks at the, the picture of the Lord Jesus, and he is staring at her. She said, I will rip myself, and I will never rip this picture. Please forgive me, Lord. She took her hand off. She went into her bed. She stayed, prayed, and read the Bible every single night until she got rid of this addictive habit. The second temptation, he took him on the pinnacle of the, of the temple. That is for the spirit. The spirits 
enemy is pride. By the way, when somebody is very boastful about themselves, there is something wrong spiritually here. The body doesn't have pride. The body has lust. Who has pride in us? The spirit. The spirit. Now look at this Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 to 16. It's fairly long, but I'll read it. How you have fallen from heaven. Now Isaiah is talking about who? Satan. The angel. The cherubim. Who was in a glorious position. In a glorious fame. Look at this. How you have fallen from heaven. O morning star. He was called the morning star. Son of the dawn. Wow. He was beautiful. He was all illuminative. He was gorgeous. Satan was before a magnificent angel. He said, how have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, meaning other angels and saints. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, meaning I will become another God. On the utmost highest of Mount uh, Zephon, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, meaning God. He wanted to be like God. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? Are you the real angel? Are you that angel that you were once upon a time? What happened to you? From the highest of, high, of heights to the lowest of pits because of self-pride. Now what, was, what is that angel? Spirit. So what is the weakness of the spirit? Pride. Satan, who is spirit, wanted to be like God. He said, I'm going to lift up my throne and I'm going to be another God in heaven. Self-exaltation, self-pride, false glory. Now, how can we fix the spirit? How can we discipline the spirit? By prayer. Prayer is the solution to your problems spiritually. If you have a problem with pride... If you have a problem with there being a show-off in simple terms, pray and ask the Lord to take it away from you. Jeremiah 33.3 Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You see, the Lord says, call to me. Call to me, I will answer you. Meaning, pray. Call to me. What does that mean, call to me? Pray to me. Ask me. Prayer is the only way to enter God's presence. Prayer is the only way to enter God's presence. You want to be in the Lord's presence? You have to pray. And prayer can be taken in two forms. There is the literal prayer. And there is a prayer of deed. There is a prayer of words. And there is a prayer of deeds. Prayer of words is when you stand and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That is a prayer. When you stand and you say, Lord Jesus, I love you. That is a prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Uh, forgive me, I the sinner. That is a prayer. And the form of deeds 
When you visit someone in hospital in Jesus' name, that is a prayer. When you help someone who is hungry in the name of Jesus, that is a prayer. When you go and see someone in prison in the name of Jesus, that is a prayer. When you cry for someone who is lost, that is a prayer. And the Lord said, pray continuously without cease. Don't stop praying. Well, Lord, how can I not stop praying? But I, a time comes when I have to go to sleep. He says, yes, before you go to sleep, kneel down and say, Lord, I want you to be with me in my sleep. So you may protect me from evil dreams and nightmares. And if I open my eyes in this world and see the sun, S-U-N, I thank you for it. And if I open my eyes in the next world, I want to see the sun, S-O-N, so that I can thank you for it too. And when you go to sleep, because you ask the Lord to be with you in your sleep, even in your sleep, you are praying without cease. Prayer gives you humility. Prayer breaks the spirit and the pride of the spirit. You see, he took him on a temple. On a pinnacle of a temple, it's a high place. High place means what? I'm seeking attention. You see, when you go on an elevated platform, everyone is looking up to you. Every eye is focused on you. This kind of an attention is dangerous, my beloved. Girls, do not compete and say, I'm going to be more beautiful than the other girl. You are not that girl, that girl is not you. Be yourself. Do not compete and be someone that is not you. Do not compete, my beloved. You're here to be seen beautiful in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of people. And don't seek physical beauty. Seek spiritual beauty. Seek the inner beauty, not the external or the outer beauty. Saint Macarius was, a, was head of monks in Egypt in the third century. Saint Macarius is a very well-known saint in the Coptic church and in Christendom. Now, every other monk, every disciple of his took Saint Macarius as the man of God, someone whom they looked up to. Someone who would they listen to because he was their spiritual, spiritual father and their guide in their spiritual journey. So one day, as they, always, as, as they always used to do, they would come to St. Macarius and say, Father, please give us another spiritual advice. Tell us what shall we do. This day, St. Macarius said to his disciples, he said, guys, every time I spoke, this time I want the Lord Jesus to be the teacher because I am not. I am another student. All of us are followers of Christ. He is the only leader and he is the only teacher. So this time Macarius is going to go quiet. He's going to let Jesus talk. So he said to the other monks, he said, let us kneel and pray. And ask the Lord Jesus to give us a sign as we approach the gates of Alexandria, we ask the Lord Jesus to give us a sign so that we may learn a spiritual lesson this very day. So they all knelt and prayed to the Lord, give us a sign so that we may learn something spiritually. 
They prayed, got up, and went to Alexandria. And as they approaching the gates of Alexandria, they see, sorry, a prostitute there. Sorry to say this. That's a true story. Read his biography. They see a woman that is drifted so far away from the path of the Lord. All the monks laughed. And when they turned to Saint Macarius, they saw him crying. <laughs> they were shocked. I said, Father, why are you crying? But you know what? They got shocked as well, but they laughed. They said, we all know Macarius is a saint. When he asks something from the Lord, the Lord gives him straight away. No way in the world the Lord is going to give us this sign to learn from. What a woman. This kind of a woman. Is that from the Lord for us to learn? Impossible. So they went to St. Macarius. They said, our father, why are you crying? Please, there's nothing to cry about here. Oh, it's kind of funny. This is not from the Lord. He said, yes, it is. He said, don't you know why I'm crying? I said, no, please teach us. He said, the Lord taught me a huge lesson today I will never forget for the rest of my life. What is it? He said, this woman knew how to put certain makeup and make herself so beautiful to attract men to her heart. Yet I, Macarius the sinner, till this very moment have not been able to understand on how to make my heart so beautiful to attract Jesus to it. She is better than me. She succeeded. I failed. Now this is someone who is so highly elevated in the spiritual realm. Even from a prostitute, he learned a spiritual lesson. Prayer, my beloved, teaches you a lot of beautiful things. I urge you, boys and girls, young men and women, please pray. I urge you, please make your homes a church. Have a place in your home. Put a, one corner, dedicate one corner in your home, make it a church, put the Holy Cross, put an, a picture of a saint, the, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Mother, whatever makes you happy, but put a Bible there and kneel there and pray every single night, every single day. Make your home a place of worship for the Lord Jesus. Turn it into a church. Don't wait for Sunday to come to come to this church. Yes, it is important to come to the church on Sunday and receive the Holy Communion. But the church begins in you. You are the temple of God. If Jesus has no place in your heart, He's not going to have a place when you come here. I need to begin with me, with home. Please, I beg you, prayer teaches you a lot and gives you humility. I don't have the time. We have to move on. The third temptation, it's to do with what? The soul. The soul's enemy is greed. He took him on a, mount, on a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms and the riches of the kingdoms. To break the soul and discipline it, charity, charitable deeds is to break the soul. 
Give, be a giver, and be a cheerful giver. When you come to give, don't go, oh, please, don't leave me. It's $100. I can't believe I'm giving $100 to this harmless guy. <sighs> it's too much. I'll give him five bucks. <laughs> or actually, if I've got coins, I would prefer to be coins and five cents. Look at this, Matthew 6, 3. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse, verse 3. This is the Lord Jesus talking. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is saying, when you are about to give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What is the Lord saying? He said, when you give, don't use both hands. Because if you're going to use both hands, you're going to start counting and separating. You know, you open your wallet, you've got a $5 note, 10, 20, 50, 100. If you use both hands, you're going to go through and give them the pink one. Five bucks, mate. He says, don't use both hands. Don't let the left know what the right hand is doing. In other words, when you want to give, use one. Use one means don't look. And the green one comes out, the 100 bucks. And then your heart goes, ah. That was Iraqi way, ah. Ouch, my heart is broken. The hundred bucks is going to this. Mm. Yalla. When you break your heart, you break your greed. Charity is to break the greed. When you give, give the best you have, not the least. The problem with Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve... Why did the Lord God accept Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering? Because Cain gave him from the least, and Abel gave him from the best. What is the most thing you value? Give it, and let your heart be broken. When you break your heart, you break your greed. The soul is being lowered, and the will is given to God. I wish I had the time to talk about the soul. But I'll tell you this, five components makes up the soul, subconscious mind, the conscience mind, the will, the feelings and the emotions, and the thought. I'll say it again. These five components makes up your soul, the subconscious mind, the conscience mind, the will, the feelings and emotions, and the thought. These five makes up the soul. Now, in the soul, there is the will. In the entire New Testament... Read it, and I'll challenge you with love and respect and humility. Read the entire New Testament. There is nowhere in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus says, I came to save your spirit. He says, I came to save your soul. Read it. You know why I came to save your soul? Even though he wants your spirit. But he came to save your soul. Why? Because one of the components that makes up the soul is the will. And without your will being surrendered to Jesus Christ, he cannot save you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Who is the earth? Me and you. As it is done in heaven. Who is heaven? Angels. When God says something in heaven, no angels argues. There is no angel comes to God and says, you know what, I'm too busy for you. Can, I, can you leave it till tomorrow? Or let me think about it, God, what you're asking for. I'll think about it. And if it's okay with the way I think, then I'll do it. If not, sorry, God, find some another, another angel. 
No, when God gives an order in heaven, it is done on the spot without any arguments. But God comes to us, the piece of dirt, very weak, but he gave us the will because he made us his children. Angels are servants. Uh, we are the children of the Almighty God. That's why he gave us that freedom to have the will to decide. When God comes and talks to us, we say no to him. And he can't do anything. He goes upset. He comes back again another time, try again. But if an angel says no to God, <laughs> they'll be gone, finished. There is no comeback. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now the word heart means your soul. It's not this heart that pumps blood. The word heart means your soul. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So when you give, please make sure you've got a big, huge smile on your face. Give the hundred bucks and say, yippee. <laughs> Don't go, ah. Be cheerful. Be happy. Be joyful. And when you give, rest assured, God will give you a hundred folds more over. When you are a cheerful giver, God will bless you more and more. Don't be afraid. I've, I've said this true story that happened to this, to this weak instrument. And I'm saying it only for one reason. I want you just to understand that we need to trust the Lord Jesus more and more. One day I was sitting at home. And there was a knock at the door with no prior you know, appointments or anything. It was just a knock at the door. I go and open the door, this young man is at the door, which I know personally. I said, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I'm sorry, Bishop, I, I should have called, and I, my apologies, but I'm in a very bad situation. You came to mind straight away. You were the only one that came to mind, and I had to come, and I'm so embarrassed, but I don't have any other choice. I need $1,000, please, Bishop. By the way, don't think I'm rich, you know, but I'm rich in the Lord. Yeah. I had $1,000 in this envelope, which I was actually going to use for some church work. I had already put it on one side to do the specific work for the church. When he came and knocked at the door and he said, I need this $1,000 desperately. Straight away, I realized that this 1000 was meant for, to be for this guy. Without hesitation. In my heart, I said, this is yours. It's not mine. It's not no one's. I ran inside, I grabbed that envelope, and I said, here it is, God bless you. He said, I'll, I'll pay you back. I said, yeah, you don't have to. If you want, up to you. If you can't, may the Lord be with you. He went. I don't have the thousand dollars to do that work. I don't have the money. I said, not even two hours. Now listen to this. True story. This is for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Not even two hours. There's a knock at the door without prior appointments. I get up. I open the door. This guy is standing there. He says, Bishop, I'm so sorry to come just like that without notifying you. But I was sitting at home, and there was a voice spoke to me so strongly and so powerfully. He said, I want you to go and give this envelope to Bishop Murray. The Lord is my witness. 
I said, okay, thank you. So he said, I couldn't escape that voice. And I believe it is the voice of the Lord Jesus. It is the voice of the Holy Spirit. He moved me. He shook me so heavily. I could not just ignore that voice. It was so powerful. I had to do it. Otherwise, I was going to be in trouble. It was that powerful. He said, go and give this envelope to Bishop Murray right now. So he said, I'm, I came and I'm so sorry again that I didn't call to make an appointment. I said, no, it's okay, my son. No problem. Thank you very much for the envelope. <laughs> and make it come in, brother, <laughs> more often. So I grabbed the envelope. I, I laughed inside of my heart. I laughed. I knew what was happening. I go and open the envelope, $1,000 in the envelope. The Lord can test you. He wants to see what you're going to do. Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to be scared that if I give this, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Who's going to pay the bill tomorrow? Who's going to do this tomorrow? I'm going to be without money. I'm going to be short. See, you're using your head too much. Let go. Trust in the Lord. I gave that $1,000. I didn't have any other. I thank the Lord. I've always lived like this. Beautiful. No, no, no headaches, no heartaches, nothing. You give, you take. Life goes on, bro. I can't remember that one day I slept hungry. The Lord promised his disciples. He said, I'll be with you. You will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. Terrible deeds. Again, to sum it up, the body, the temptations of the body to break that body fast. The spirit, pride, to break that pride, pray. The soul, greed, to break that greed, give. And be cheerful when you give. And this is the way we worship God. Body, soul, and spirit. This is the perfect human being that the Lord God created from the very beginning. And we worship Him bodily, and with the soul and with the spirit. It's amazing some people sometimes focus too much on the spirit and ignore the body. You cannot. You got to take the three together. The three have to work in harmony together at the same time. You can't focus on the body and leave the spirit or the soul or vice versa. The three work harmoniously all the time at every time. Otherwise you're failing your Lord. I get sad in my heart when people say, the body is nothing, throw it in the bin. Excuse me? The body is the temple of God, for God's sake. It's incredible how the Lord Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Yeah? Gospel of John chapter 3. He says, if one is not born of water and spirit, cannot see the king, enter the kingdom of God. If one is not born of water and spirit. He puts the water before the spirit. He puts the physical before the spiritual. He put the material before the, the spiritual realm. Water is physical. Spirit is spiritual. He says the body is important. I cannot get to you unless I come through the body. But I want your will. Now, I'll finish off on this. Why do we fast or abstain ourselves from meat? Sometimes, you know, as uh, apostolic churches, we get sort of criticized about the way we fast. And, and by the way, fasting, the number one thing about fasting is not about um, 
Shall I stop myself from any dairy product and start focusing? What shall I eat? I'll have to be vegetarian or I'm going to be full vegan, uh, full speed ahead. I'm all vegan for 40, 50 days, whatever. And you start focusing on the food and then you lose track of the spiritual side. And I always mention it to people. You cannot focus on the food and not focus on the way you talk and on the way you walk. You see, I, I don't eat meat, but I eat everyone's meat, if you know what I mean. I'll talk about everyone, and I'll chop them, and I'll rip them, and I'll talk behind their back, and I'll stab them, and then I say, thank God I'm fasting. Wow. <laughs> so we need to put it, we need to balance it. If the, if the body is fasting from meat, the spirit has to fast from wrong things. What's your language? What's your behavior? You need to fast from both. But both are important. Now, why, would he, why do we fast from dairy products? Meat. I'll tell you why. It's in the book of Genesis. Let's have a look. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 9. I'm going to give you a few verses from Genesis chapter 1. Verse 9. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land. See, I've highlighted dry land in red so I can get your attention. And please focus on this. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. Verse 20. Then God said, Let the waters bound with, a, with an abundance of living creatures Fish, whales, all these kind of things. Living creatures and let birds fly in the sky and the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures, the cattle, the sheep, the cows, the camels, all those kind of, you know, that creep crawly on the, on the land, on the earth. And let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping uh, and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and it was so. There are seven stations... There are seven stations from man, verse 26, Genesis 1, 26, to dry land, verse 9, chapter 1 of Genesis. The seven stations are, number one, grass, number two, herb, number three, fruit tree, number four, fish, number five, birds, number six, cattle, number seven, man. When you go back and read Genesis chapter 1, thoroughly at home, you will see exactly what I'm talking about. These are the seven stations from the grass. What happened? This is in day three. On day three, the Lord God ordered for all the waters to go on one side, and He gave them border, and He called those waters oceans. And He said, I want the dry land to surface up. When the Lord God brought out of the water the dry land, the first thing He 
created on this dry land was grass. The second thing he created was the herb. The third thing, fruit a tree. The fourth, fish. Fifth, birds. Sixth, cattle of the land. Seven, man. What has this got to do with fasting from dairy products and meat? Mm. Interesting. Well, the dry land that surfaced out of the waters on day three by the commandment of God, the Lord God, that dry land came up, and then the first thing came out of the dry land is the grass. Now, in stature, in height, grass is the shortest of the herbs and the fruit trees. See, grass is very short. Herbs are taller. Trees are taller. Yes? So, what is the closest thing to the dry land? Grass. What is the closest thing to the dry land? Grass. The higher you go, the further you go away from the land. The further you distance yourself from the land. What is the closest thing to the dry land? The grass. What is the closest thing to man? Steak, brother. Cattle. Ah. When you are invited at some relatives, some good friends, and our homes, and imagine you're invited for dinner or nice lunch, and all they put is grass in front of you. How would you feel about these people? You're going to say, these people are so greedy. What do they think? Am I a sheep? You put grass, you have insulted me. But when they put steak, mm, yum, yum, barbecue, shish kebab, brother, Lebanese, habibi. When they put all these shish kebabs and the steak and all the meat, you say, now you're talking. Great people, man. Lovely people. So generous people. So big-hearted people. That's what I mean. Now you're talking. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you for the love and respect you've shown me. And thank you for the disrespect that you put grass before me. What is the closest thing to man? Steak, meat. That's why, naturally speaking, people love meat. Because that is the closest station to you. That's why you love meat. You don't want to eat grass, would you? It's the furthest station. It's seven stations. So imagine like you, you're, you're going from Fayetteville to, to Circular Quay. The first station is uh, Unora. Followed by Guilford. <laughs> followed by good old Maryland's. So, of course, the closest station is the easiest way. I don't want Circular Quay. I don't want to jump there. Unora is very close. It's very handy. So what's, what's uh, the closest thing to men? It's cattle, meat. That's why we love meat. We don't eat grass. That's an insult. All those people who left the world, like St. Macarius I was mentioning earlier, all the people that left the world and the pleasures of the world and the treasures of the world and the temptations of the world, they became living like animals in the deserts eating grass. Because the closest thing to the dry land is the grass. And who is this dry land? Let's see. Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. 
when he had been baptized, now this is Jesus, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Genesis 1.9, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Where did this land come out of? The water. And where did Jesus come out of? The water. So who is this land? The land is Jesus Christ himself. So the land in Genesis 1.9 is referring to the Lord. He said, this is the land that I want everyone to inherit. This is the land that I want everyone to be as close as possible to it. Because when you inherit the true land who is Jesus Christ, you have inherited everything. And the closest station to this land is the grass. Grass meaning you give up on the most precious things in your life for his sake. Jesus, for your sake, I'll give up the cattle. Now, when you, can we go back to those stations very quickly? You see, you give up the cattle. When you go to the bird, it's still meat, but it's lesser meat. You eat the bird, what is this? Man, it's all bone. I can't even taste meat. So it's lesser meat. You want lesser meat? You go to the fish. Fish is meat, but yeah. Now good. You give up on meat entirely. You go to the fruit. Trees, apples, apricot, all those kind of fruitful trees. You give up on the fruits. You go to a lesser level, herbs. And you want to give up on every taste. You go to the grass where there is no seeds. There is no fruit in the grass. He's not talking about grass and this. He's talking about what is the most precious thing in your life. If you give it up for the Lord, you will inherit him. Don't let anything to be a stumbling stone from you getting to the Lord. Get rid of it. Whatever it's stopping you from reaching the Lord, get it out of the way. Take it away. Get to the land. Inherit him. He is the dry land that came out of the water, the water of the river Jordan. He says, this is the new land. Because that land that surfaced up in Genesis was condemned when Adam broke God's word. The earth is condemned and it's going to yield for you thorns and braids, Adam. That land is gone. The new land is Jesus. No sin, no blemish, no nothing. So if anybody is not fasting, start fasting. Try it. I'm not going to go full steam ahead and say I'll give up on everything and then collapse the second day. No. If you haven't fasted ever in your life, begin gradually. Get up in the morning and maybe for the first couple of hours, don't eat nothing, don't drink nothing. You're not going to die, trust me. Oh, don't trust me, but trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. <laughs> give up. You know, when, when I tell this body, no, 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 I'm not going to fill you up. I'll give you a little. That's enough. I'm not going to spoil you. You need to be disciplined. Yeah. See? That's why we don't eat dairy products at all. No fish, no meat, no milk, no eggs, no nothing in this great Lent of 40 days. By the way, it's 40. I know some churches have 55 days. Some churches is 50. Sundays are not included. And the passion of the Lord in some churches is not part of the fasting. That's why that week of passion is added to the fasting. That's why you're fasting 55. But Jesus fasted 40 days, and that is the true fasting. It is 40, it's not 50, it's not 55. In our church, Sundays are not part of the fasting. 
We still don't eat meat. We still don't eat dairy products on Sundays. But it's not fasting. You know why? Because Jesus said, when you go to a wedding, you cannot fast. Sunday is a wedding because Jesus is risen from the dead. The bridegroom is once again in the midst of his own people. Finally, fasting is literally means to wait for. The word fast means to wait for. Who are you waiting for? You know, sometimes we wait in the heat, we wait at the station, we wait in the car, we wait on the phone for the most loved person out of all. You can only wait for the one you love. You can never wait for the one you hate. Oh, I don't want to use the word hate because Christians should never hate. But you cannot wait for someone you don't love. You can only wait for the one you love. Jesus says, if I am your love, are you waiting for me? Even if I am delayed, but you will wait for the one that you love the most, no matter how late they are, because you love him. My sweetheart said, I'll meet you at one o'clock. He showed up at four, but I was still in love. And I was still waiting eagerly because I adore him or I adore her. Fasting means to wait for. Jesus is asking the question to all of us. Who are you waiting for? You can only wait for the one you love. Am I your love? Will you wait for me? Don't go and leave me. And don't say Jesus is late. Sorry, I'm going to go and find someone else. Wait till I come, no matter how long it takes. That is the true fasting. So is your heart desiring Jesus? Do you truly love him? Do you truly seek him? Do you truly want to be with him? Do you truly want to find him? When your heart is searching in this kind of a way, rest assured, Jesus is always there for you. No matter what. Then fast from food. And then fast from talking and walking. Seek the Lord and wait for his second return for his second return is at hand is so near is so close we are living in the end of times the Lord is on his way back again look around you and see what's happening in the world look around you and see exactly what happened yesterday in Christ Church New Zealand and my heart goes out to all those who were killed I don't care if they are Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Christians, atheists. At the end of the day, they are human beings and only one God created everyone. And God loves everyone. And as a Christian, that God who created everyone is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And there is no other one but him. For this sake, my heart goes out to all my beloved Muslims that were killed yesterday. And I pray to the Lord to have mercy on them. And I pray to the Lord to touch other Muslims' hearts so that they don't retaliate in a very blinding way where they think it's a Christian against a Muslim. We, this needs to stop. This is nonsense. Evil is playing very, very, very ugly game here. And they burned the church and they brought the cross down. 
Very sad. Very sad. It's a message to everyone, Christian and non-Christian, Muslims and, and otherwise. We are brothers and sisters in humanity. We are not enemies. You may be different to me in the way you believe. And I'm not going to deny that Christianity has a lot of differences theologically, canonically with the Muslim faith. I can't deny that we don't have differences. We do. But that doesn't mean just because I disagree with you religiously, then you are my enemy automatically. That is not so. And it should never be. Disagreement doesn't make us enemies. We need to fast truly and seek the true divine God that has created everyone. And everyone is free, whichever way they want to believe and whichever way they want to walk. I'm not here to judge. God is the only judge. So I pray that every Muslim person not to take it that this is a Christian attack against Islam. Just because an Australian went and shot all those people in the mosque. He does not represent Christianity. He certainly does not represent Christ. I'm very proud to be a Christian. I will never deny that. And as far as I believe and I know, there is no one but Jesus Christ. And my Jesus taught me to love everyone and to pray for everyone and to live in harmony with everyone. Regardless, when the Lord God gave that commandment and says, love your God from your, all of your heart and love your neighbor, he did not specify what kind of a neighbor. He said a neighbor and end of story. Your neighbor could be an atheist, could be a Muslim, could be a Buddhist, could be a Hindus, could be anyone, your neighbor. You are supposed to love that neighbor regardless of their religious, racial background. That's not your job to say anything. Your job is to love your neighbor. This is the Lord I believe and I follow. This is my Jesus. The ultimate. The ultimate of the ultimate. We need to pray, my beloveds. We need to fast. We need to wait for the Lord Jesus. We need to reflect His image in our lives. And now is the time when you're young. I'm not saying that you don't do it when you're older. But I'm saying start now because a young man and a woman loving Jesus, that is a powerful message sent to the world. Because this is your time, your prime time to enjoy life. But you chose not to go to do whatever people are doing. You chose Jesus over the world. Now that is a very powerful statement. Love the Lord, my beloveds. Fast from your heart and say, Lord, I wait for you. Every day and night I wait for you. Every moment of my life I wait for you. My fast is not just food. It's not just this or that. My fasting is I am longing to see you. I am longing to be with you. I am longing to feel your presence in my life. I am longing to make you happy and proud of your son and your daughter. I am longing for the day that I can put a smile on your face. I'm longing for that. God bless you guys. I pray that we've gained something this evening. I pray that we have learned something this evening. 
For the body, break it in discipline and fast. For the spirit, pray and break the pride. For the soul, give and be a cheerful giver to break the greed of the soul. This is the way you worship the Lord Jesus. Body, I fast. Spirit, I pray. Soul, I give. That's the way you serve the Lord with all your heart. And this is the way a Christian person should live and be a, a nice model and an example to the rest of humanity. God bless you. Thank you so much. Let's stand for the finale prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you, and protect you all the days of your life, now and forevermore. Amen and amen.